Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by Annie Hyman-Pratt, top business consultant and author of The People Part. Seven agreements entrepreneurs and leaders make to build teams, accelerate growth and banish burnout for good. Annie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Where are you joining us from, Annie? Oh, from Southern California. Today, I'm actually in San Diego. Oh, wow. This has been one of the one of the highs, actually, of recording remotely. And we're going to talk a lot, I suppose, about our new ways of working and connecting. Yes. So when it comes to business, no matter what industry, no matter the mission, no matter how big or how small the company is, one universal shared element is, of course, the people. Even in the modern world of technology and increasing automation, it's very clear that the human element, or as you call it, the people part, is more important than ever before. So I'm really excited to ask you all of my questions and to dive in deep into the new book. But first, could we start with some of your own experience? Because Annie, I know that you've successfully scaled a business and led teams and leaders yourself. So thinking back to that time, what was that like? What were some of the challenges and some of the lessons learned? So first of all, I've always loved business, but I started in business in my family's business. Um, we had a business called the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, and it was uh, before Starbucks. My parents started it in the 60s. It was all about gourmet coffee. And in the 90s, at the very beginning of the 90s, I came back to the business after my father had some health issues, and I scaled it at that time. It was small but it was right during the beverage revolution. That's how I think of it, right? The fancy coffee drinks really caught on then. And so um, I was able to scale the business from uh, something small, seven stores doing small volume to about 70 stores over the 1990s. And then we sold it to a licensee. So during that time, it was a, a very um, quick education through you know, sort of trial by fire. And in scaling the company so rapidly, I, I found that uh, the people part was by far the most important, by far, because everything kept breaking, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, um, so when we could keep the people together, we could really rebound quickly and, um, and get back to what really mattered. But if the people part wasn't working, uh, things spiraled down and quickly became a nightmare. And then I did a lot of, um, oh gosh, consulting and interim executive management with lots of different companies after we sold the coffee bean and found that uh, while all businesses are very different, the, the main parts of the people part were the same. Hmm. And we could have great businesses with um, you know, good products, um, really good structures and systems in place. But if the people part was not working, nothing was working. Sure. And so I suppose right now for a lot of people, whether they are 
working part-time, whether they're working remotely, whether they work uh, in a company where they're encouraging people to come back in. There's been so much change and so much of the people part, you know, I'd really, I guess, firstly, love to explore exactly what that is, what, what are the kind of fundamentals there that you talk about when you say the people part. But for a lot of people that, you know, it's changed so much that some people don't even they've never met the people that they're now working with face to face, everything's become online. And so I suppose there's a whole new host of challenges there. But yeah, firstly, what are those fundamental things when you say people part? What do you really mean? Yeah, so uh, I do mean the the human part, the parts of people that we have to account for, because human beings are still not, you know, we're not robots. Hmm. And, and by the way, um, Lots of people uh, these days, we think about how fast technology is growing and how um, artificial intelligence is starting to get some good traction. But the truth is that people in business, especially people are still infinitely better than computers and robots because humans still can take in lots and lots of different pieces of information all at the same time put it together and think about it and come up with an answer. So come up with a, you know, a, a next action. Um, how I like to describe it is like, we can teach computers really well how to play chess right now, but we can teach any 16 year old how to drive. For you guys, it might be 18 years old, I think. We can teach any, any kid how to drive and yet we still don't have effective self-driving cars. I think one of Tesla's cars ran into a plane last week. Wow. So, you know, so, so we still need to work with human beings. Like they are still extraordinary. And we have this part of our brain, the frontal lobe where our executive function is. And it is amazing at problem solving and creativity and um, uh, doing, um, oh my gosh, all kinds of innovative things, working with other people, um, you know, being able to work even when under stress and challenge. And so as a human being, we need to stay in that part. However, that part of our brain is new and um, not very strong. It's pretty weak. And the part of us that's super strong, this human part that we can't turn off is the more automatic unconscious part um, that I think of as our emotional reactivity. It's, it's, our, it's our part that's all about um, threat detecting and self-preservation. And when we are working in a business or when we're doing anything that requires us to, to focus and, and work with other people and think quite a bit about what we're doing, we, we can't be in emotional reactivity at the same time. So, so what I mean by that is if, if I've had a argument with my spouse and the night before I'm hopping on a meeting, if I'm still thinking about the argument, I am unable to concentrate on what's going on in the business. Those thoughts will be, you know, 50 times stronger than my thinking, than staying focused on my thinking ability. So, so the human part, one of the biggest, biggest parts is how we show up. Can we learn to lead ourselves, lead and manage ourselves so that that more primitive part of us, that emotional reactivity is kept regulated. It's kept at bay. It doesn't take over as often as, as it might, especially because 
today's world changes faster and faster. And that we can't stop. That's not up to us. So things like the pandemic and all the technology around it and how we are able to work today, um, we're having a big shift right now, right? Where people are working more and more from home. Mm. That's a giant change. Wow. Well, there's so much actually that you've said then. Firstly, I hadn't actually thought about it in that way around computer, you know, technology and, and advancements in AI. And the fact that actually what you highlighted there is that the human element and the people part is still more efficient, is still better. And I think we're kind of, yeah, we celebrate and we, I think we showcased the the highlights, of course, you know, think, for example, of a search engine, you can Google and find out the answers to anything yeah. at the touch of a button really quickly, or uh, a silly example, but, you know, I was doing some um, preparation with my son this week, because he has his school exams, and, you know, long division, multiplication, these things where you think, actually, it'd be great to just get a calculator out right now, because it's so easy and efficient right. to just, you know, use a machine or use technology. But actually, I hadn't thought of it in that way, that actually, there are so many things that we can do and, and there's so many things that we can process and adapt as you said which a, a machine or a computer is not able to do not yet yeah not, not yet <laughs> yeah i hadn't actually thought of it in that way and as you as you said the world continues to change at a rapid pace i don't think that that's going to change and we are having to adapt and innovate kind of whether we like it or not i think some people are a little bit yes. more resistant to change some people are a little bit more excited about change and innovation but essentially one thing's for sure it is it's continuous and it keeps on going so i guess when it comes to an, another topic that you that you write about and you mentioned then was, was self-leadership, but even just the word leadership itself, I'd really love to dive yeah. in and explore a little bit about what, in your experience, you know, you've worked with a lot of leaders, what ab attributes, personality types, what typically makes someone a successful leader and what are maybe some of the misunderstood traits and capabilities that we might associate with, with poor leadership? So leadership is all about working with others to get results. And one of the best things about business is that we do come together to achieve goals, to help customers and to uh, make some profits and to impact the world in a great way. And so um, that's the first part of leadership. And, and the second part of leadership is that um, business is a team sport. So leadership is all about how are we going to support each other? How are we going to support ourselves? How are we going to interact and play it like a team, like a sports team. The best leaders are really able to um, work on their, are able to hold their self-leadership. Okay, the whole point of holding in self-leadership is so that they can drop their self-protections, they can drop thinking about themselves and really focus on what am I doing here to achieve the outcome and what's my part versus the other people's parts, right? It's like, if this were a basketball game, it's like, I definitely have to be thinking about what strategy are we playing? What, you know, am I the one who's gonna drive in here and, and, and take a shot at the basket? Or is this the time that I pass it to somebody else? Has something unexpected happened on the court? And so we, the very first thing that makes a strong leader is leaders that are really um, clear about how to win the game, right? What, what we're doing here. And then the leaders who are able to interact with others well. And I think one of the, um, 
uh, how would I say, misunderstandings out there is that leadership is all about inspiring others to do well, right? Like, kind of like I think of, you know, people think of leaders as somebody like giving, you know, standing in front of a crowd and giving a great speech and then, you know, everybody does what they say. And, and that's really not it. Leaders are ones who, they, they definitely do some inspiring, but the whole point is that they get people um, to want, people to desire the end result, people to focus on that, and then people to interact really well, to support each other to get the goals. Yeah, you're so right. Good leaders, I suppose, bring out the best in every person in the team. And I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Susan Cain and her work. She's the author of Quiet, and she talks a yeah. lot about introverts and the power of introverts. And I think she talks a lot about the misunderstood traits and capabilities and, and the fact that we assume that if you're an extrovert, you're more drawn to being a leader and that maybe you will, as that, exactly as you described, you know, stand up in front of people and rally them. When in fact, she says that, you know, introverts may be in in a leadership role, they may pay more attention to detail. They may be more open to hearing the ideas and the thoughts and opinions of others in the team, and therefore actually better to they make they can make better decisions, and as a result, actually be better leaders. So I think at the moment it's a really interesting uh, conversation, especially because I think we we I just hear so many people talking about how introverts and extroverts have dealt with the pandemic and how work and working remotely how it's more suited to introverts than extroverts. But actually, I think that yeah, there are some real misunderstandings about which, you know, both of those things actually, and how they impact us as individuals and our ability to contribute to teams. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I'm an introvert for sure. And, um, and, I, and on, on, my, on my own uh, company team, um, I am, um, I'm not the only introvert, but I think I'm the most introverted. And, uh, and I have my, uh, my COO, um, she is super extroverted, so we are opposite. And and one of the things that's that's um, has been interesting in working with her is, and with this is something that I learned, um, uh, gosh, throughout my career that I really have had to focus on and figure out how do people work together when they are very different. Mm. And so we've each had to learn about ourselves what we do under stress and challenge and 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 what and i know what she does under stress and challenge she knows what i do under stress and challenge so in that way we're able to resolve things much faster support each other much faster so because i'm an introvert partly because i'm introvert i should say um, when i'm under stress and challenge i um withdraw i if the more stressed I am, the less you can find me, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and I can go there very quickly. Um, my uh, COO, she's very extroverted. So when she's under stress and challenge, she becomes even more expressive, right? So we can do, before we figured it out, we could do this dance of, you know, she's coming after me, wanting to talk, wanting to solve things right at this second. <laughs> right now let's talk about it more and i'm you know and i'm i'm like oh my gosh i can't say one more word i'm gonna fall apart if i don't exit this conversation and and take some time to recover myself so in in learning the people part we have very much learned 
how to, and teaching so many clients and so many of the leaders that we train, teaching them about themselves, their natural reactions, and how other people are different, and what to do when they react. So for myself, I have to speak up more. When my COO is, um, when we're having a, a, a sort of a gap or, or difficulty getting on the same page, it's stressful, I have to speak up more and she has to step back more. She has to stop talking and I have to start talking. And that tends to calm things. This is super powerful because I'm also thinking about how this relates to other relationships in our lives. So not just maybe our professional relationships, but the relationships we have with a romantic partner or with our children. I think it's super useful for people to think about this in that way. When you just described then you that need to retreat and to kind of have a moment to think and to respond, I'm definitely more similar to your COO, if I'm problem solving, if I'm crisis management, then my go-to is to all hands on deck, action, action, talk, talk, let's figure out option A, option B, option C, the scenarios, when, yeah, you're right, if somebody is, is doesn't work in that way and needs to retreat, reflect, have time, and then come back to the situation, I think that's really helpful for people to think, maybe that's the way one of your children responds but maybe not the other child or maybe that's how your partner what your partner needs and so you get frustrated because you're like wait let's do this now but they're thinking whoa this is too much I need to yeah figure it out so I really think that applies and hopefully people can be reflective and think which 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 one am I which works best for me but also how can they flex a little bit more and and get the best out of the other people around them exactly and when you flex a little and sort of move towards somebody else's um, style, so to speak, towards somebody else's natural way, they, they calm. It's opposite of what you think might happen. Like you think if you get more expressive that your partner will become, you know, over the top expressive. I might think that. And it's actually the opposite. When I become more expressive, my husband is also a super extrovert. We are very, very opposite that way. Um, and in fact, he, um, he's so extroverted, he, he want, and he wants everything to be good all the time. He needs a lot of harmony. One of his big things is that he can't go to bed angry, right? That's a, a, a kind of a, a common saying out there, right? Don't go to bed angry. And for him, that's super important to have everything resolved. And, and if I'm not in a good place to talk about something, it's like, no, I, I can sleep fine angry. <laughs> See you in the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But to recognize how hard that is for him, right? To recognize like, oh my gosh, he's not going to sleep at all. And so what can I do to have him feeling a little better, a little safer, even though I do need some time to think? Like when my emotions are running really high, for most introverts, it's, it's the worst time to try to express what we're thinking, feeling, to do to, to problem solving. Yeah, it's like a dance. Yeah, I really like that. You know, you have to listen, you have to learn, you have to flex. And I guess, you know, I mentioned self-awareness and you talk about self-leadership. So for anyone listening to this show who's thinking, okay, I'm not leading a team or I'm not um, in a management position, but actually when it comes to themselves, how can we be more empowered to trust ourselves, to make decisions and to not necessarily rely on other people to 
acknowledge and say, yes, that's the right thing to do or no, or give us advice. Of course, it's good to get advice from people and feedback. But I think for a lot of people, if they lack self-confidence and self-leadership, they find it very, very difficult to make difficult decisions and to trust in their own ability. Yes. Yes. And, um, and, um, it's the kind of thing that you need to practice. I think of it as uh, another word for it as, as emotional endurance. Mm. It's like, can I, um, be under stress and challenge? Um, you know, especially, uh, maybe in a business, maybe, uh, with family things going on. Um, oh gosh, just in the world today with COVID and the economy and all kinds of things changing so fast. It's, it's like, can I get myself to a place where I'm okay? Because if I'm okay, if I feel like, you know, I, I can get through the challenge. I think this is also one of the uh, mistaken beliefs about confidence that confidence, most people think confidence is being confident that I can get it right. Confident that I can achieve what I set out to achieve. And actually, that is not confidence at all. Confidence is all about, I'm gonna be okay no matter how this turns out. I will be able to recover. I'll be able to make some decisions later. I'll be able to, um, you know, to take a loss and turn it into a gain by learning something. It's the confidence is the confidence that I'm okay, no matter how this goes. Mm -hmm. That's the piece that we need a lot, lot more of. And that is all about getting our automatic um, threat detectors, those emotions like blame, judgment, criticism, self-criticism, defensiveness, resistance, uh, avoidance, denial, getting all of those emotions to stand down. Because when those take over, that comes from our amygdala. It's like we don't have any access when those emotions are running. We don't have any access to our real cognitive abilities. In fact, our blood flow goes to our thighs. <laughs> when we're triggered, our blood flow goes to our thighs so that we can run away <laughs> or get ready to fight. And humans today, we, we are dealing with not those kinds of physical challenges, rarely those kinds of physical threats. We're dealing with psychological threats, long-term ones, vague long-term ones. We're not thinking about, oh my gosh, can I eat tonight? Do I have a place to sleep tonight? You know, in first world countries anyways, we're, we're not thinking about that, but we are thinking about, oh my gosh, how's my uh, child doing in school? Is, is my child going to do get into a college? Can I pay for that college? <laughs> um, if you're in the States anyways, it's, you know, there's all kinds of uh, stressors out there that are long-term psychological and we are not wired to handle those well. So we have to learn how to do it. We have to learn to regulate our own emotions yeah. so that we really can show up well. Yeah. And it's, it's really great when you put it like that as well as the emphasis on how real and how important that is because I'm not sure if it's just 
me, but I sometimes think people kind of diminish our, you know, you know, you hear people say, oh, first world problems. And so as you just described, they'll say, well, you know, we're no longer having to build a shelter and, you know, uh, fend for ourselves in the wild and make a fire and, and, and kill an animal to eat. We have a fridge, we have food, we have this kind of comfortable, easy life, and we have these first world problems. But as you described, if you are anything that is a problem to you, whether that is, yeah, can I afford to um, pay my mortgage? Can I, uh, yes. is my child doing okay in school? Am I going to progress in my career? Am I going to meet somebody, uh, you know, and, and and I'm single? Like there's all these things which people sometimes yes. do diminish as, yeah, the first world problems, you know, our generations before had to live through wars. And the worst thing that we have to deal with is, uh, you know, maybe a social media troll. And so people right. try and, you know, they try and make it out that actually these things aren't, difficult they're not tough and that you know younger generations aren't prepared you know they're not mentally or uh, resilient enough when actually i think the way you described it then is that this is our environment this is our reality and that actually having the mental fitness mental resilience whatever you call it is it's these are the challenges that we face and they're very very real very real and it is so real in fact that uh for example social pain like when a teenager is um, uh, excluded from their social environment, or they think they are, right? Uh, online, the online bullying these days, or any kind of online comments. Um, when you put teenagers into an MRI scanner, oh my gosh, their brains light up in the pain centers as if they're being burned. Wow. Right? So it's, it's that kind of psychological pain is extraordinarily painful and the idea that only physical pain is painful this you know the the um, sticks and stones uh, thing where words won't hurt me it's like actually for human beings words hurt just as much as um, you know as as tripping and falling and scraping your knees it's it's yeah. super painful and we and we're not um, we haven't learned to cope well with it yet in fact, depression is higher than ever, right? This, this, this uh, um, in, uh, COVID environment has been the hardest on developing brains. Mm. We're, not, we're not cut out for, for um, these kinds of, of uh, psychological challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the main takeaways for me with the work that I'm doing the organizations I speak to and the you know I, I listen to employees and I ask them obviously questions and the, at the end I'll always do Q&A and I'm talking to a lot of organizations at the moment specifically about well-being about employee well-being in the workplace and actually as you described we're not equipped to deal with stresses that last this long so for example the two years of uncertainty two years of change potential fear um you know the the economy as you said businesses scaling and then having to do uh, huge uh changes internally and get rid of half of the team or interest rates changing yeah. all these different things it's another thing another thing another thing it can feel pretty relentless actually and a, a statistic that i read last year in june of 2021 it was a metlife study that said 42 percent of millennials aged 26 to 40 had described themselves as being burnt out and to be honest i mean i thought the number would be higher but burnout is something that i think last year 
everybody was talking about it. Everyone was saying, oh, we're burnt out. You know, we're all exhausted. Mental health is a crisis. But if I'm honest with you, Annie, I feel like 12 months on, we've kind of just shrugged it off now and said, oh, well, we're all burnt out. But you know what? How are you doing? I'm burnt out. How are you doing? I'm burnt out too. And we kind of just accepted it as being the norm. And we've kind of become a little bit desensitized to this, this topic. So yeah, I mean, firstly, I'd love to hear, you know, you talk about this in the book, what is the key to solving burnout? But firstly, how do we start to get people to take this seriously? Yeah, I think the way we get business to take it seriously, especially business people is, um, is well, really in in the whole world too. But Business luckily has a profit motive, right? Like a we business wants people to be productive. <laughs> we we and what we need now from um, from uh, people in uh, from our team members is their thinking, right? We don't we automate so many things that have to do with tasks and and what we you know actions we might take that don't involve thinking. Those those are all set. What we need now from people is their is really their thinking, and so. So to really understand that burnout cripples people's ability to do their job. You, you, you know, when somebody's burned out, they will sit down to, maybe they'll sit down to write a, um, you know, write an article or work on a spreadsheet. It, they'll take, you know, five times as long when they're burnt out than when they're not. Mm-hmm. That their ability to problem solve um, tanks. And so, so when we can recognize, hey, wait, the consequence of this is enormous. And that's the thing that I don't think the world has completely figured out yet. And I don't know, uh, it's like we need to figure it out before everybody is just completely wiped out and, um, and, and having a true mental health crisis. A burnout meaning like I have to stop working for six months to recover. And that's real. Yeah. That's absolutely real. So. So I think the the first thing is to recognize that burnout it's not some it's it's not something of like you know where you can you can stay in on that path and have it turn out well. It's not going to turn out well. It's going to get worse and worse. Yeah, and you mentioned that one of the main outcomes there being productivity and of course that organizations and businesses want people to be able to come and do their work and to contribute and to you know reach the objectives or the targets or whatever but i think one of the things that i've noticed as well around burnout it's not necessarily just that you're physically tired or you're mentally drained of course that is a huge factor but i think it's also the emotional disconnection and starting to feel indifferent you know i spoke to somebody recently and she said that that's how she knew that she was burnt out was because because yes, she might have been tired, but she's been tired before in her life. She said what was different about her, this experience of being really burnt out was that emotionally, she was like, I genuinely had no range of emotion. I stopped caring. So for example, with her work, she said I could sit in a meeting and where before I might've had an opinion, I wanted to you know, push back and say, oh, I don't think this is right. Or she said, I would just sit there and nod my head and say, okay, fine. And then I would be given some work to do and I'd say, okay, fine. And she said, I was so indifferent. I just, just generally had no emotional range. I didn't care. And I think that's something yeah. that if people start to understand and feel that, if they're thinking, actually, that's me, like I don't care anymore about the outcome of what I'm doing. That I think yes. is a key sign of burnout. We just don't have anything left. Absolutely. And, um, and another way that some people react, lots of people react the way you're talking about, some people also, um, their confidence tanks. Mm. So they become so self-critical 
and feel kind of hopeless that 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 things that they could change anything right they start to feel like oh my gosh i can't get a good result here and then when their confidence tanks they again it's like they can't think then the world just starts to get darker and darker you know we, we need people to be confident we need human beings again they have to feel like well i you know today is a challenge but i can get through this challenge and to, and if it's not tomorrow then the next day or the next day will be better and when we lose that which i think is happening now and when we lose that we we're you know we're not good yeah yeah it is a, a, without doubt a really challenging time for a lot of people a lot of businesses a lot of organizations and actually post pandemic of course we've seen huge changes in the way we work not just what we do but how we do it and yes. i saw earlier this week that airbnb they have announced that they are now fully remote so rip to the office there's no offices at all everybody employee of airbnb can now work anywhere in the world and, and be a remote member of the team. So I was really interested to hear your thoughts on this, Annie, some of the pros and cons of how, if we were to switch to mostly hybrid or most or fully remote working, how do you feel that is going to impact the people part of our business? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a big challenge actually. Uh, and I've had a remote team for a while and even, even though I still find it challenging. We, we, we humans still need um, a lot of connection. We, you know, it's like I talk about business being based on teamwork, but we need it. It's like we are, uh, for accomplishing big, long-term, complex projects and, and tasks, we are better, much better, more effective working in a team. And part of what we get out of the team is um, the, uh, the connection, it's kind of like, you know, my strengths will fill in for your weaknesses. <laughs> when you're having a bad moment, I can step up. When I'm having a bad moment, you can step up. It's like the team provides a safety net. And when we, but to keep up that safety net, we have to stay connected. We have to stay connected enough to understand, well, how's my teammate doing? Are they, you know, what, I don't have to know everything about their work, but I have to know sort of, you know, well, but how's it going over there? What kind of support might, might you need? And in a remote environment, because we, we don't have that natural part of like, you know, I can walk by somebody's desk and, and kind of see that they're hunched over and not having a good day and ask about it. That part is gone. We don't, we don't have that anymore. So we have to construct it. It's like we have to actually make more connection points, which isn't, yeah. you know, which isn't easy. I, I agree. I, I definitely agree with a lot of, you know, as someone who loves to be around people, who loves to interact. I love going into different places and being with teams. However, I was having a conversation with someone recently about this and she vehemently disagreed with me. She's actually just started a new job herself. She's a, a mother. She's got two children. You know, the last few years, of course, she's had to work from home, homeschool, all of these things. And she started work at a new company and they've said that she can do 
part-time in the office, part-time at home. And we were talking about this, you know, pros and cons, remote working, and about, you know, how it's going to impact the human element, the people part, the culture. And she was so adamant. She kind of said, look, you know, Adrienne, the company culture is not built by people coming in and having a coffee together. She said, it's laziness that people think, oh, we have to be in one place. And she kind of said that, the people who are the most resistant to embracing this new world of working, you know, they're, they're kind of dinosaurs in the way they're thinking and actually they need to be more innovative. And, it, and it's really interesting because I consider myself to be someone who is always future thinking, always thinking about efficiencies, improvement, innovation. Uh, but I can kind of see, I suppose, both sides of the coin. And I think, yeah, it's a really interesting one how, how it's quite divisive at the moment. Some people are maybe listening to us and thinking, yeah. absolutely no way. I don't need to be in an office to do my best work or I don't have to be with somebody in my team to to get to know them. So what would you say to, to those people? I think your friend is right for a lot of people. Depending on your role, if you have a role in the company where you you can do a lot without a lot of connection, meaning your role isn't terribly cross-functional usually, or um, you aren't having to work in a, in a really big project team where you have a, you know, a small part of a big project. But when your role is kind of more autonomous, it is, um, it, it is easier to uh, have a lot of time for yourself to think and innovate and et cetera. And, and then you can reach out and connect with people as needed. Where this gets tricky is when you're working on things that need a lot of input, a lot of discussion, a lot of thinking together, right? Where many people have to share their perspectives. And in that case, we do need to spend time together. And we can do it on Zoom, like, you know, Zoom or, or um, any of the video conferencing. It works. Yeah. But it's harder than in person you get tired zoom fatigue is real yeah it's we have to work harder on zoom to understand what's going on with our coworkers. we can't we can't see their facial expressions as well right the yeah. conversations are not as easy we have to work harder and so you know so we 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 need to do that and it it, it can't be done and that's one of the challenges when it works well it does work well because you can recover the part of the day where you were going to commute or, you know, where you were going to um, struggle with having to get your car fixed and I don't know, some other things that may be obstacles to work. So you do regain that time. But then on the other side, um, at home, you have to structure your own environment. Mm, yeah, that is a big one. Oh, it's huge, right? Because the thing is, is when you go into work, like you are, you know, when you go into an office, you're really confident that your kid is not going to run through. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. But when working from home, oh my gosh, is it a challenge, right? All kinds of things become a challenge. The gardener's next door, your kids, the, you know, the, um, the, uh, the uh, delivery people coming to the door. I mean, there's your spouse. There's infinite things that go on at home that are major distractions. It's hard for us to structure things enough to actually get that safe space to think 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And and I'll be honest, I also think just like with everything in the world, there's also a disparity. There's also a gap. And, you know, for someone like myself, I'm very fortunate to say I have a home office, you know, right now yes. I'm sitting at my laptop. I have my mic. I have the door is closed. My son is actually upstairs right now. So, yes, he knows not to come in when I'm recording. Yes. And, you know, I have I'm fortunate. I've got a nice window with lots of natural light. I've got plants in here for some people, a lot of people. People actually they their work environment at home is not like that they might not have a designated room to do their work they might have to share a space with other students or other family members or other people where actually they might not even have space in their home to 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 work out say or to prepare food you know things are, yes. are if you if you're living with limited space it impacts so much more than just your ability to to do your work but actually going into an environment such as yeah a building an office whatever a place where you go to do your work and there's other things that are there as well as just your laptop and and the yes. people you know the people you interact with your opportunity for conversation, mentorship, learning, especially yes. for young people, for graduates, you know, if they've, if they've oh. just left university, their, their opportunity for upward mobility and to be around people, I really do believe as much as, yeah, the culture and all of these words that we use, I think we can't, what are we missing out on? What is the cost of us being on our own, isolated? Yes. And it's not the same cost for everyone. I think it's important for people to recognize That's it's right. not the same. The disparity, as always, the people who will suffer the most will probably be you know ethnic minorities probably people in so low social economic households those are the people who will need the most support but they'll have the most struggle one of the things that i talk about a lot in the book um, is uh, how we humans work together best is best is through making agreements it's like everything's an agreement hmm. um, and the point of making agreements is that each side you know each each party to the agreement has to decide for themselves, can I do this? How can I do it? So, so when we think about family, it's one of the opportunities here is to start teaching um, you know, kids and the whole family to operate in agreements. So it's, you know, it's the thing of like, okay, here's the thing. You know, I, um, I might say to my kids, I have, you know, I have meetings on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from uh, nine to, to uh, 11. And so during those times, <laughs> I, you know, I need you guys to not um, come into the kitchen. I need you to have made your food ahead of time or come in after that or come in at lunch and to work with the kids on what do you need to keep the agreement, right? Yeah. How can I support you? So it's not just demands. It's like, how can we make this work? And then you're going to be also thinking about how do I set up my kids for success here? Yes. And they can start learning and thinking about it, or even your partners, you know, how, how can your partner set you up for success? What can they do to make all of this really work? And to yeah. keep making agreements, and then when they don't work out, to renegotiate, to come back to it and say, hey, you know what, we almost got there today. Let's, let's talk again about how tomorrow needs to be a little different. I love that. I really love that. I think it's super actionable, helpful, and I like that it puts both parties are involved. Like you said, what can I agree to? What can you agree to? And yes. how can we continue to improve that? Thank you for sharing that. That's really, really, really helpful. 
Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, so for the next part of the show, I would love to talk to you about the concept of the Power Hour. Regular listeners of the show will know all about it. It is essentially reclaiming an hour of your day. Now for me, that's first thing in the morning, but for others, it's they've adapted it and they've taken it and some people's power hour is at lunchtime, some people it's in the evening, but it's really about saying, there'll always be demands and things that are taking our attention, our energy, our focus. And if we don't ring fence an hour each day, we'll never have more time to do the things that are important to us. So Annie, I would love to know what the first hour of your day is typically like. Yes. Well, my power hour is definitely not my first one. Okay. (laughs) I've been a, a a night owl like my whole life. Uh, in, in, uh, when I was in school, I, I, I learned that I better start my day at about 10 AM. That works. That usually works much better for me. So my, my power hour is really in the early evening. It's like I get a, a, a second wind so to speak. And, and that's the time in that early evening where, um, I, um, where I love to have at least an hour to myself because it's when I'm inspired. It's when I have the energy to do creative things. You know, again, I'm, I'm an introvert. I love to, um, be in my own head thinking about new things. (laughs) And, and, and so during that hour, when I, when I really have it for myself, it's like, I can be uh, writing down new ideas. I can be doing some journaling. I can be um, uh, reading articles about neuroscience. That's something I'm always interested in. You know, I can be um, reaching out and having some conversations uh, that aren't the typical workday conversations, right? To talk yeah. about something new or something interesting. That's, that's, that's uh, the thing that supercharges me. Well, thank you for that. I like that you said it's when I'm inspired because often people do think, okay, power hour, you know, does it have to be productive? Does it have to be, you know, ring fencing time to get more things done? And firstly, I'll say, no, it doesn't. It can be that for some people, if that's the time when they can create solitude and focus. For me, it definitely has to be because I'm so easily distracted. And throughout the day, once everybody else is awake, basically, I find it hard to focus. Whereas in the morning when it's quiet and, you know, everyone's still in bed, nobody's expecting me to be online or reply to emails or pick up the phone, that's when I can do real focused work, but it doesn't have to be about productivity. So I really like that you said it's when you're most inspired, because if there is a time, whether it's lunchtime, evening, morning, when you are feeling inspired, you are feeling creative and you can really lean into that, then yeah, yeah. the results are going to be much better. Yes. It's, and, and for me, it really gives me my energy. It's sort of, um, I think I'm, I'm in a phase of my life now. I'm, um, you know, I'm into my 50s here, and I'm in a phase where, um, uh, how would I say, I'm plenty productive. Like, I think after 30 years in, in a business, I, I know how to keep myself productive. Uh, but now I'm in the phase of like, but I want to be doing the things I love. And, and, and that I have to make for myself, right? It's like, in, in a lot of ways, we, 
we, we really need to decide for ourselves how we're going to be happy in our lives. And I'm, yes. you know, I'm past the young kids part. Oh my gosh. I, I, um, you know, I have so much compassion for, uh, parents right now with their kids still at home. Yeah. You know, little kids or teenagers even being home all the time. Oh my God. It's so hard. I am, um, I'm so grateful to, to not be in that stage right now, but, uh, but it's like, I'm in a stage where, yeah, but I have to make my life really mean something. Hmm. Yeah, and I hope that people can, whatever age they are, really, I think post-pandemic, a lot of people are actually feeling that feeling of, I don't want to just be busy again, being busy. Exactly. You know, it's like, let's get busy living. Let's get busy, yeah, doing the things yes. that give us energy and joy with the people that we love. And, you know, for me this year, especially, it's so funny. I've been really enjoying traveling again and experiencing new things. And I met with a friend just two days ago who said to me, oh my goodness, I've seen you online. He said, I've seen you on Instagram. You've been here, you've been there, you've been you know, traveling so much. He said, Adrian's retired and he's laughing. And I said, no, I'm not retired. I'm still working, but I'm really injecting more life into my life. Yes, and I, I love that. And it's so good for you. It's, it's so, it's so good for, for all of us to, to, to have the skills to be able to do that. And by the way, it takes practice. Yeah. Right? We're I not mean, taught it, that, are we? The default no. is just to do more, work more, bigger, better. Exactly. We, the default is not really to kind of question, actually, are you living the lifestyle that you want? Or are you continuing to just, yeah, strive, especially someone I'm very ambitious, you know, I could work every yes. single day, but yeah, it is. You're so right. It's a practice. And it's sometimes it's quite radical for you to snap yourself out of it and go, wait, yes. you don't have to do more. You could actually just and do what you're doing now and yeah make some change so i hope people are yes. hearing that and and gets them thinking about or maybe gets them inspired to inject more life into their life i hope so too well thank you so much i really appreciate your time annie i've absolutely loved this conversation i know the guests are going to love it too and if they want to get a copy of the book i know that it's out now where can they get a copy oh Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, um, most outlets have it now. Yeah. The people part. Brilliant. Thank you so much again. Have an awesome week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back next week with another episode. See you. Thanks, Annie. Thank you so much. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.